0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and happy to bring ideas and resources so that you can build your professional development plan. Thanks for listening and for your great feedback. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of philanthropy and productivity. Speaking of productivity... I'm excited to share this episode featuring Carson Tate, who is literally a national expert on all things productivity and workplace engagement. Of course, our conversation comes at a critical juncture for nonprofit leaders just like you as you manage your own productivity while trying to keep your staff, your volunteers, and others engaged in this largely virtual environment. Well, Carson is the perfect person to talk about this, and we discuss several things that can really help you on your productivity journey right now. The first thing we talked about is understanding your productivity style, and obviously we are not all alike, and Carson explains the differences, and perhaps most importantly, how to best manage your style as it relates to others that you work with. Carson also has great insight as to the challenges we're all facing right now in, in frankly, an era of uncertainty and how we can best manage that and not let it derail uh, so many things we're trying to accomplish. And finally, Carson's got two great books to talk about. One, her productivity classic, Work Simply. And I'm very excited about her new book, which is called Own It, Love It, Make It Work, How to Turn Any Job into Your Dream Job. Certainly we all are in the nonprofit field because we have a dream that we're trying to uh, establish. And Carson has great ideas as to how we can fulfill that even further. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes. This is episode number 58. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com and you will find all of the resources and links that Carson references. In fact, she has established a page for our listeners Uh, The link is available on the show notes so you can have access to her new book and other resources that she has referred to. Speaking of resources, stay on our website, connect with us, let us help you and your nonprofit with your strategy, your fundraising, or perhaps we can help you on your professional journey through our coaching and training programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Carson Tate. Carson, thank you for joining me on the path.
1: Thank you, Patton. I was so excited to receive the kind invitation from you and I'm excited about our conversation today.
0: Well, likewise, and the things that you have such great expertise are so relevant to nonprofit leaders everywhere. And so particularly in this strange environment in which we operate, uh, I'm delighted to kind of unpack the things that you're talking about, you're writing about, uh, you're, you're teaching. Uh, because I think the nonprofit sector absolutely needs it. Um, Maybe before we unpack some of those issues that you and I have discussed previously, how did you get into this (laughs) productivity world um, that you are now uh, helping others with?
1: Uh, Well, I've always liked structure and organization. I can say that. My mom used to tell a story that my my Barbie dolls, I like to play with Barbie dolls. Even their clothes have a little little place in my room. <laughs> it started rim. early for you, It right? started early for me. <laughs> yes, there's always been that, that love of structure and process. My brain thinks that way. I started my career in financial services and human resources and a training and communication function. And I really loved it. I had great teachers and mentors at the bank. And then I went into outside sales. And the outside sales scratched what I didn't even know or really realize was an entrepreneurial itch. I really had a desire to start my own company and working in outside sales gave me a great opportunity to train. So I quickly realized in sales that organization, productivity, relationships and communication are essential for success. And I was very good at my job because I had a task list and I could follow up. And as I was hitting targets and exceeding them, I quickly realized I could help my team. So I started sharing tips and best practices, realized there was a business, and I left the world of pharmaceutical sales and started my company, Working Simply. And here we are today.
0: Love it, and Working Simply is indeed, uh, there's so much evidence of what you've built and now what you're teaching. I I guess, Carson, is it fair to say you saw a lot of uh, uh, where productivity was lacking. (laughs) was it? One of those things, not just your entrepreneurial spirit to start a business, but you saw a lot of challenges all around you.
1: I saw a lot of challenges all around me and I didn't see that many folks talking about productivity in the, in the work world. Um, And how you, we all think and process information differently and how to structure your day, your time, your inbox your energy management, your attention management, to achieve your goals and support the company in achieving its goals. So there was an opportunity that I saw and I jumped at. Oh,
0: and clearly a lot of people have benefited. And one thing I noticed and learned from your writings somewhere, because um, I was one thinking you're either productive or you're not, but you make <laughs> the point that there, there are different productivity styles. Uh, what, what do you mean by that?
1: hmm. So we all think and process information differently. I think all of us can probably agree on that. And what has happened in the productivity field is that we have been given a set of tools checklist processes that tend to be more analytical and linear, but we have colleagues that are more big picture and intuitive and relational and kinesthetic and those tools fundamentally don't work for them. So when I was in grad school, I realized that there's this concept called cognitive styles, how you think and process information that informs how you work and developed an assessment to identify what you call those productivity styles. And so there are four different productivity styles, prioritizer, planner, arranger, and visualizer. And based on your productivity style, you need a specific set of tools to help you optimize your performance because there's no one size fits all.
0: Well, I'm struck by, so as a nonprofit leader, if one style fits me, but it would be a mistake for me to kind of force feed my productivity style on my team. And is that part of your point?
1: Absolutely. So not only on your team, but as a nonprofit leader, I mean, think about your volunteers, as well as your board.
0: Good the chair
1: of your board and your board members. So as a nonprofit leader, you might be more of a, an arranger, relational, communicative, kinesthetic. Your board chair might be more of a prioritizer, analytical, budget-focused, very goal-oriented. The two of you, we need both of those styles. This diversity is really important. However, there's going to be a natural, natural conflict in how you work and neither style is right or wrong. It's really honoring the way both of you work that will allow you to achieve the goals that you've set for your organization.
0: I take it. I know you have tools that can help with that, but again, I'm struck if, if I'm a leader, obviously nonprofit boards often, board chairs change sometimes annually. So that's something that maybe should be among the first meetings I have with my new board leadership, right? To just acknowledge these differences.
1: Absolutely. I think having a conversation about how you both work. It doesn't always sound very glamorous, but it's really important. So understanding from your board chair, how do they want you to communicate? So do they want you to communicate via email? But if so, do they want a one sentence email or do they need multiple paragraphs with context and a lot of details? Do they want to schedule check-in meetings very frequently or do they not? how do they want to let you know when work's complete and vice versa. It's, it's an elevated form pattern of working agreements that are grounded in the tactical execution of your strategic priorities.
0: That makes perfect sense. But Carson, if, if I'm working for you and you're the nonprofit leader, should I though try to adapt to your productivity style, even though I may be different you know, intrinsically, but I, I guess we have to sometimes adapt to our boss, or how would you comment on that?
1: I would, I think that patent is an excellent term, adapt, or we often say flex. So right. the, I'll just give you a quick, here's a really quick tool to access this. So prioritizers are analytical and linear, fact-based folks. The planners are are organized folks. These are the checklist people they like process. The arrangers are people, people like to communicate, relate. They know everybody's dog's names <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and the visualizer is that big picture strategic thinker that's going to challenge the status quo. So we don't, we're not asking you to be something you're not. It's just an awareness of the other style and the easiest way to flex or adapt is just to moderate how you communicate. So if I'm talking to a prioritizer, answer the what questions. What's the goal? What's the objective? What's the data? What's the budget? And if you can really focus all communication on the what they're getting, what they need and want, and they, they, you are creating the feeling, Oh, they get me. Uh, They understand this is information I need to be successful. The planner needs the how questions. How do you want it done? How are we gonna deliver our annual report? How has it been done in the past? They want the deadlines. It's around the execution, the how piece. And then the arranger is the who. Who's on the team? Oh, who's on the committee that I'm working with this year? Who else is on the board? Who needs to know? Who are the stakeholders, both stated and implied? You anchor the conversation, the email into the who. And then the visualizer is the why. Why not? What if they want you to talk in concepts and really think about strategy and more big picture?
0: I, it, I love that. And of course, as you were listing off those characteristics, I'm thinking, you know what? I, I think I've had a boss that fits every one of those or a, or a board <laughs> chair. And- and, yeah, but, me
1: too.
0: Haven't we all? But but instead of wrestling with them, I guess I don't have to compromise my style. I, I need to be cognizant of their style. And as you say, just kind of respond in a way that makes sense to them. But I'm not giving up my own productivity style, you know, as a result, right?
1: No, absolutely not. That. No, we want to honor how you work because ultimately, and, you know, we're, we're looking for performance here. We are serving some folks in our community that really need us and we want to make sure we're doing a great job so do not in any way compromise your productivity style we're just flexing and adapting our communication when we talk to our boss has a different style or our board chair or the chair of you know the gala event that we're throwing this year
0: good point speaking of the the volunteers and you and i've talked about that before that in many nonprofits, it's not the kind of pure uh, reporting structures, but volunteers are equally important, and we need to acknowledge their styles and uh, adapt uh, accordingly.
1: Absolutely, and here's the the what I tell all of my leaders: if you don't know, so probably some of your leaders who are listening, Pat, and are like, "Okay, well, this sounds great, but what if I don't know right. my board chair style? We haven't had a chance to have the conversation, and I need to send out a board communication. I don't know." super easy we call it walk the matrix answer each of these four questions what's the goal or the objective how are we going to get there how's it been done who needs to know who's involved and why it matters connected back to the strategy and so if you can send out an email or a communication and you've got two sentences three sentences for the what the how the who and the why you've communicated in a way we call whole brain everybody is going to receive and understand that
0: communication. Nice. Regardless of their style. Regardless. Because
1: you've addressed it. And so you can make sure that the communication was clear and understood by everyone on that board, on that volunteer team or in your office.
0: Yeah, I love that. And of course, I suppose I could then seek feedback from uh, if it is just an individual and that would help tell me their style going forward.
1: Absolutely. We talk, Patton, a lot about clues and cues and how you can figure out someone's productivity style. And in this new virtual world of work, I don't know about you, Patton, but my inbox is exploding. (laughs) Everybody's
0: on email with you, huh?
1: I mean, we're all on email. And so email is a great place to look for clues and cues. So a prioritizer, that analytical linear thinker and worker is going to send the shortest emails in your inbox. They're like a sentence. They're succinct. They're direct to the point, right? Yeah. No fluff. Just here it is. And then the planner's email, it looks like a project plan. It's got a due date. You have some bullet points. They indent their structure to it. There's visual structure as well as an organization of ideas. And then the arranger, it's like having a conversation.
0: Damn Hi man. Patton.
1: How's your, how's your daughter? Great job on the podcast. It's like conversation. And then the visualizer always say their emails full of concepts is like Faulkner. Lots of concepts, (laughs) lots of
0: ideas. But again, uh, it fits each of their styles and you have to be sensitive. A good leader would be sensitive to that and obviously is gonna be more successful. Um, I, I wonder, Carson, have you adapted your advice or coaching given the virtual nature that we live in now? I mean, or the principles I'm, I'm sure still apply, but how have you adapted given this kind of in home environment most people are working in? Mm-hmm.
1: So we have adapted. The one thing that has stayed foundational is to honor your productivity style, how you work.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: But then there are three other places where we have coached our clients to adapt. The first one is that separation between work and home. So many of us would drive to an office, get on the bus, go somewhere, and then come home. Right. And now we're maybe walking into the kitchen or down the hall. There's no physical demarcation. And so we have told our clients, you've got to have physical and time boundaries. So if this corner of the kitchen table is your office, when you go to that table, it's work. That corner, it's work. When you leave it, work is over. Interesting. And then we can work anytime because it's staring at us on the kitchen counter. <laughs> right. Just looking at us, kind of lurking there. But what would be a work day? And I'm, I'm not suggesting in any way that it has to be eight to five. In fact, I think given the constraints that many of us are juggling, children at home, caring for relatives, uncertainty of a pandemic, that might not be feasible, but what I would strongly encourage is there are times that you know are work times, and then there are times that you fiercely protect that are non-work times.
0: Yeah, love that. So get out of bed. Don't pull your laptop into bed and start working. <laughs> yeah, Put on, yeah. Change your clothes, get out, move to a different space. And, and respect those times, get out and walk around, do things to, I, I like your term of demarcation, right? In terms right. of your calendar.
1: It's really important. And then the other two things, the, the second one, what we have found, my team and I've always worked virtually. Um, and so it's been interesting for us to really start to share in a real way, things that are working. And one thing that's really important in a remote world is we call it go for the early win, because you don't have the collective energy of a team around you, you've got to get your own mojo going, right? Right. You got to get your own get up and go. And so we talk about how do you get that early success? So if you're a prioritizer, how can you achieve a goal? So can can you knock off 10 emails in eight minutes? If you're a prioritizer, you can. A planner, what can you organize or structure? Even if it's the spice cabinet, that counts. We're looking for that win that arranger, that connection to somebody, do you send a quick text to your friend or you do a quick IM with a colleague just to connect and the visualizer, how do you move your brain? Is it a crossword puzzle? Is it coloring? Is it putting together some ideas on a whiteboard? But we've gotta do something to jumpstart that that mojo and get that sense of accomplishment.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, And again, according to your own style not just allowing the day to kind of overwhelm you right from external uh, kind of stimuli, you're creating your start and a positive start on your own.
1: On your own and on your own terms in a way that really resonates for you. And then the third strategy that is really important is some type of structure or plan to your day. There is not a one size fits all. There is not, you must do it this way, but it goes back to that work life separation, but also predictable patterns or themes in your day. So this might be the, on Thursdays, I might really focus on research and writing that might be what works for me, but be thoughtful about creating your own container for work so that you've got some certainty because everything's uncertain. We've got to start to anchor into where you can exert control and start to build in. I know this is going to happen this way. i blocked this time.
0: Right. So maintain these routines, even if you're not again, forced to get dressed and, and go on the normal, the 30 minute commute that perhaps was your previous environment. You still need to have some of these kind of frameworks or structures, right? To mm-hmm. keep things going. Mm -hmm.
1: that resonate for you, right? So um, it's really important to honor the way that you work and the realities of your personal situation. And that's really important.
0: Well, and I guess related to the personal situation, you're right, and Carson, we both know that there are families that are homeschooling kids and and dealing with lots of issues. And uh, you've spoken to this. I remember an episode I did with Mike Blackwelder, Smart Start, and he said, you know, self-care is so important now. Um, can you speak to that? And I guess that is probably among the topics you're talking to clients about is making sure they're taking care of themselves, right?
1: Absolutely. And we've all heard, I mean, we all know rest, we know proper fuel and hydration, but the piece that we've really been talking about in terms of self-care is where can you find some joy and just some humor? So, uh, I have sent out so many funny zoom meeting memes, you know, with the bulldog who's <laughs> right. got the curlers in their hair. Um, I'm a huge fan of the onion, which is just a funny news site, YouTube Hilarious. videos, yeah. just a little, just a tiny little bit of humor where you can find it does the, the body and soul really good. And if you create this container or this structure for your day, it helps you create more opportunities for self-care. The five minute walk, maybe just, you know, might be up and down your driveway, but right, that's great. Right. Or you commit to meeting a friend for a social distancing walk in the neighborhood at 5.30, which helps you stop your work day. And then not only have some interaction with someone, but also it's a great way to get moving.
0: Great point. So you accomplish more than one goal there.
1: Absolutely,
0: And, and well, it's so necessary because I just think a lot of organizations and particularly, again, not to uh, identify nonprofit as, as unique in this sense, but I do think there's a lot of pressure on nonprofit leaders who uh, feel the pressure of those they serve, particularly if they're serving underserved populations in this time and, and they just do not give themselves a break. But ultimately, as you're saying, Carson, they're, they're not going to do anybody any good if they wear themselves you know, to the bone.
1: No, and you've heard me say this before, Patton. I mean, we are human beings, not human doings. And so I think the challenge as a nonprofit leader, what we need now more than than ever is their creativity and their leadership and their innovation. And when you are exhausted, you can't do that. The, The research has shown us between 60 and 90 minutes is the upper limit of how long we can truly focus and really give a really high cognitive output. So it's counterintuitive. But yep. if you wanna be more yep. productive, take more breaks. And it sounds crazy, but it really does
0: work. Now that's such good advice. And especially begin, because we don't have the built-in transition of going to another building or down the hall or even to a, a different office, we can sit at our, desks too long, but that's exactly your point. We need to force ourselves to get up and move around.
1: Absolutely. So do you need a timer? Um, if you have four legged friends, they are great helpful
0: partners, (laughs) making
1: that, that date with a friend or your partner your spouse or your child for a bike ride or something helps with that accountability to take a break one thing that uh, my husband and I've been doing and it hits three, three buckets that I think are important. It helps with the certainty, humor, and it helps us stop working as we are going back through our favorite decades of movies. So right now we're in the 1980s, 1980s, you know, there's such good movies.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Um, And so we are going and we each selected 10 of our favorite movies. And so once or twice a week, we sit down, we watch a movie. Most of these are hysterical, got some humor. Like last (laughs) night we watched airplane. Oh my gosh. It's so silly and stupid.
0: Classic. Yes. Classic.
1: So we laugh. So we've got humor. We both have seen it so many times we know the outcome. So there's some certainty that our brains relax. We know exactly what's going to happen and we can't work. Like, so there there's, it's a no laptop policy. Like right. you can't watch the right. movie and do your work. So it's helped create um, some fun, some humor, some certainty, and a boundary.
0: That's fantastic. And and again, we need to give ourselves and others that license to do just that. In fact, I'm, I'm glad to endorse your plan, but we watched uh, Back to the Future, my daughter and I did last night. Speaking, did. speaking of mid-80s, I'm <laughs> um, right with you. We, we must be on a similar timeline because we're in the 80s as well but it sounds like you have built that as a great routine and of course that's just good for family bonding as well as the humor and other things that you you mentioned
1: absolutely
0: um, of i'm excited you got another book i want to talk about your previous book but let's talk about your new book first own it love it make it work how to turn any job into a dream job uh, i'm guessing this originated way back before the pandemic so tell us how it's come into play, and and maybe is it even more relevant now?
1: Right. So, I started writing the book when it was a very different world. But <laughs> right. what but what has stayed the same pre-pandemic and post-pandemic is the engagement with our jobs. Right. We spend a third of our life working, and is work fulfilling? Is it meaningful? How is it contributing? to us and to our society. And when I was doing research and looking at employee engagement, all of the employee engagement books and research had been done from the perspective of the employer. What I, as an employer, could do for my team. Well, how can I, as your employer, know what you need to be happier and more engaged at work, right? If we're all different and unique. So the whole premise of the book is that you have an equal and powerful voice in the relationship with your employer, social contract based on give and take. You give your skills and knowledge in return for compensation. And if you want to be more engaged, what does that look like for you? And what a fabulous time in the midst of radical disruptive change in work, everything changed for you to look and say, Hey, what is it that I need? Right. How can I shape my work so that it fits my life, showcases my strengths, and enables my organization to serve the populations that are so important that we serve?
0: you think the book will lead folks? Uh, well, I do think, uh, agreeing with you, one, that there's a lot of reflection going on right now for people mm-hmm. in their kind of career path. Um, mm-hmm. You're gonna help through this book, I guess, someone who's reading evaluate their current situation and either improve it or perhaps get out?
1: So what I was seeing uh, before the pandemic and even now is that for most of us think we only have three options. So stay and suffer, work sucks, I have to stay here.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: right. Um, escape. And I call it go be the lavender farmer in the south of France. Right. Like <laughs> no. this escape Whatever your idea is. Get away. Yeah. Get away. Mine was naming fingernail polish colors. Yeah, whatever your fantasy is. Um, or go and be an entrepreneur. And I'm suggesting that there is a fourth possibility, and I call it the door of possibility and choice, where you can choose to take this job and really shape it and redesign it so that it fits you and your life, that you it's not staying and suffering is taking ownership and responsibility and being an active creator of your professional experience.
0: Uh, I think that's fantastic. And I run into a lot of colleagues or clients that love the cause for which they are supporting, you know, in a nonprofit role, but perhaps are struggling with their boss and and are, are contemplating departing as a result. But it sounds like you would say, no, before you uh, you know, push the escape button too quickly, you th- you would suggest there are ways we might be able to improve the environment in which we're, we work now. Is absolutely.
1: That, that is absolutely fair. In fact, what I would say is wherever you go, there you are. So yep. Yep. you are in a relationship with your boss that's not working. What piece of that do you own? So let's say, for example, you don't feel appreciated by your boss. Okay. Do you know what appreciation and recognition and praise looks like for you. Mm -hmm. What is meaningful praise? So do you need a verbal affirmation and a thank you? Do you want um, for them, for your board chair to announce to the board your accomplishments, or do you just want, you know, a quiet thank you in the hallway? If you don't know, how can your boss give it to you? You're assuming, you know, that they can, read your mind, but they can't. So what is what I'm suggesting is some pretty radical clarity on your part to identify reward and recognition that you need. What are your strengths? How can you leverage those more? Because when we work from our strengths, we're more productive, more innovative, it's more joyful. Do you know where you wanna go in your career? And what are the development needs that you want? Do you know the relationships you wanna develop? And are they authentic and meaningful? And have you thought about the meaning in your work? All of these things you have responsibility for.
0: No, that's, that's great. And I, if I get clarity as to the type of affirmation, using your example just then, do you then suggest I need to sit down with my boss and try to articulate that so he or she can better understand me. Or what would be your advice to someone? Absolutely. Start okay. with themselves, but then they start
1: with yourselves, and yeah. then we need to have the conversation with your boss. Right. Um, you know, and it, so, Pat, if you're my boss, it's having that conversation uh, around the needs and how it will support your performance, and ultimately the organization.
0: No, that's well, and that's healthy, I would think under any circumstance, but are there other uh, goals you have for the reader of your new book, which we will obviously lift up. It's only a few weeks away, but yeah. What else do you want readers to get from your new book?
1: That meaning is personal, that no one can define the meaning in your job, but you because meaning is how we make sense of the events in our lives. And you've got this wonderful opportunity to define how your job adds value to not only your life, but the lives of those folks that you serve. So for example, I'll tell a quick story. So I was doing research and I had this opportunity to talk to this wonderful woman named Celia. And Celia is the unit secretary of one of the largest pediatric intensive care units in the country, huge hospital. Right. She, as a secretary, unit secretary, her job is transactional administrative. Answer the phone, make sure this person has what they need, desk is staffed, very, very administrative. But she told me that she was the mother hen of her floor, that she took care of her doctors, her nurses, her ACPs, everyone who supported her patients so that they could care for the patients. Right. The meaning that she attached to her job, her boss didn't give it to her. She reframed and thought about her job as a collective whole versus individual task, and saw how she was contributing. So that obviously is going to profoundly shape how she shows up and the joy that she has in her job. And so you can reframe, you can shift how you do your work. That's task. The relationships that you have and how you think about
0: your work it's a perspective right taking a, a different perspective um, i guess as opposed to one being forced upon you she was proactive and creating a perspective that must have created a, a healthier environment for her professionally
1: it, it did and here's what was so interesting about this this is a process called job crafting is what she was doing right so she has this cognitive perception of how she's adding value then she starts to take on additional work that reinforces this image so she was not responsible for stocking their break room on their floor and that was uh, taken care of by another department but she wanted to do it so she went to her manager her boss and asked if she could do it because she's like i know my team i know what they want i know what they need i'm going to do this it reinforced her as the mother hen is taking care of
0: her team members. Yeah, but obviously what that also lifts up, doesn't it, Carson, that it's not where you fall sometimes on the org chart that you do have the ability to, I guess, what did you say the term was? Job crafting? Uh
1: Absolutely. Is that,
0: I guess, part of your point, right? That we don't have to wait for seniority to perhaps assert some of these opportunities.
1: No, and you also don't have to have positional power.
0: right. to do
1: it either and you don't need you you need to be thinking about when you do this it's ultimately additive not only to you but the whole organization benefits so there's another story in my book around um, a woman a client of ours and her job was in project management but she was really interested in marketing
0: right so
1: she started doing research on marketing she was in the building supply company, that's the company she worked for. And so she started researching innovative products, how to market them. And so in her project management meetings with her site supervisors, making sure everything's going well, she started weaving in some marketing ideas. That wasn't in her job description.
0: Right, right. At
1: all, but that's adding tremendous value. She enjoyed it and we'll see. Juries still out, we haven't had enough time yet on, with Ava on this one, she might start to position herself and develop skills to move into marketing.
0: Absolutely right. And I think that's so applicable in many of the fields. I, I, I run into nonprofit folks that, you know, are, are tied to, I think, narrowly to their current job description when there is opportunity, as you just suggested, to kind of, uh, you know, exercise on the muscles. Within a professional setting. And so I'm delighted to hear you're going to encourage that through stories like the one you shared.
1: Absolutely. Uh, It's about how it's brilliant in a time of rapid disruptive change. It seems counterintuitive, I think, at some points to be really thinking about how can I change my career, but now's a great time. Because Indeed. the cement that we've built, our structures, our nonprofit structures, our corporate structures, and they're, they're cracks.
0: Indeed. Things are not the same and may not be the same for a while. And so while it is stressful and you have highlighted that uncertainty is stressful, but those that can be proactive maybe in this time um, are going to come out even better. Um, I, this podcast always lifts up good books. You've got two of them, obviously your new one, but I got to do justice to your classic, uh, Uh, (laughs) Work Simply. uh, I I enjoyed myself. Um, I describe it as just such a practical productivity guide, but might you describe it in other ways too, for those that might want to look up your previous book? Yeah. So
1: Work Simply was my first book and I call it the, personalized productivity toolkit. So if you're frustrated because you've tried every app or every best practice out there, this is the book for you. Very grounded, very practical. Really starts with identifying how you work, honoring that, your productivity style. And then the book is written chapter by chapter so that you can just go to the section that talks about your productivity style and the best strategies for managing your attention, taming your inbox, getting work done and investing your time wisely.
0: Well, we all need that and we all need to do it better. Uh, so I will absolutely lift up your early book uh, as now we'll have a nice set, right? With the two yeah. of them coming together here in a few weeks. Uh, what, is there other things you're seeing Carson as you work with folks and Will, of course, point to some of the content you generate and programs and so forth. But are are there certain types of people you really like to work with Um, certain characteristics that you find, uh, you know, you're able to really make a difference with
1: My team and I always really enjoy working with folks who are open to the possibility of doing something different. Um, who are willing to be uncomfortable through the change knowing that the outcome is going to be better than they could ever have imagined and ultimately that it's about you and you showing up to doing the work because that's ultimately what it's all about so we like that that personal agency and seeing that commitment to a dream.
0: Have you found a certain timeline exists for The ideal kind of transformation, I guess it varies, but uh, when you're working with someone in a coaching environment, uh, do you have kind of a suggestion as to that timeline?
1: So It depends on the coaching objectives, what our clients' coaching goals and objectives are. We're talking about in coaching when you're talking about behavior change, which Pat and you and I both know is challenging,
0: (laughs) Indeed, very
1: challenging, right? And so typically it's six to nine months of of steady work to realize the change that you want. Now, I've had people obviously do it faster and some folks have needed more time. So ultimately it's up to the person and, and what works best for them.
0: Well, uh, you've given lots of great advice already in this episode, and we're going to point our listeners to some other cool things you have going on right now. Um, in fact, before we do that, though, we're going to lift up your two books. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to disqualify those as your as your answer. But is there anything else you found personally uh, reading, uh, as you know, for inspiration or productivity or professional development, any book that you would Lift up in addition to yours?
1: I would lift up Brene Brown's Dare to Lead.
0: There you go. Yeah. I
1: think in uncertain times, authenticity, vulnerability are even more important. So I think her work resonates very deeply now and has obviously before a pandemic as well.
0: Indeed. I'm um, delighted to lift that up, uh, as well as the two of your own books there. And where else, Carson, can people go uh, to learn more about uh, what you're up to and uh, or anything in particular you would encourage them to, to, to look at?
1: Sure. So then go to my website, CarsonTate.com, and we've set up a page for your listeners, Patton, CarsonTate.com backslash podcast and they can find a link to pre-order my new book own it love it make it work how to turn any job into your dream job which comes out october 6th i'm going to put a link there for anyone who wants to take the productivity style assessment and identify their productivity style and then i'll have information we are kicking off a master class a master class to redesign your work and then i'll include a roadmap. We call it the dream job roadmap, which offers the framework of how to shape and craft your career.
0: Wow, of course, that's fantastic. So a whole toolkit give you a of toolkit. resources. <laughs> yes,
1: I think that's very important. And you know that about me. I like tools. So I want to make sure folks have something they feel empowered. They got something they can go grab on
0: I am not surprised. Just as you describe your first book as a toolkit, you're adding another toolkit to the collection. <laughs> and we will very happily lift them up. On our show notes as well. So, Carson, thank you so much for joining me on the path. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carson as much as I did and came away with some really practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and obviously enhance your productivity and, frankly, your well being as a person and a professional. Don't forget the show notes. They're available at our website, pattenmcdowell.com. You can find out more about Carson's new book and other great resources she has at carsontate.com. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe by going to the podcast page at pattenmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary platforms. Don't miss out on any of these weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that will help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.